And welcome on in to the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. He is George Bremer. I am Ryan Hickey. We are recording late night on Tuesday after day one of mandatory Colts minicamp in the books. George will focus this podcast a lot on Anthony Richardson. And I do want to just bring up a discussion about one more thing with Anthony, uh, excuse me, not with Anthony Richardson, with Isaiah Rogers Sr. It's late. I'm sorry. About why this is such a big deal, George, because I've not seen this question asked. And I'm just curious how you're going to answer it. And, and maybe this is also part of the reason why we have not gotten a uh, a conclusion to the Rogers investigation just yet. So we'll get that at the end of this pod. But to start this podcast, George, figure because of the huge Stefan Diggs news of him holding out a mandatory Colts, uh, mandatory Bills minicamp, I got to ask you, since you were present at Colts minicamp today, was everyone in attendance? Do we have perfect attendance for this mandatory minicamp session? There wasn't perfect attendance, but most of the people that weren't there were injured, so we had a pretty good idea of, of what had happened with them, uh, and, and there were no Stephon Diggs situations that I know of. No one stormed out in the morning? No Nobody one like, walked out, out of practice? Nobody stormed out. Nobody stood on the sideline in a hoodie in protest. It, it was all all hands on deck uh, for this mandatory man game. Although, you know, come to think of it, even last year when Kenny Moore had his contract with you, he, he was at the minicamp, so... You know, he he only skipped the voluntary stuff, so it, it was sent a message. It, it was not quite the, the situation with Stefan Diggs right now. Well, let's just put it that way. But you know, hey, uh, everything's hopeful and, and optimistic, and uh, you know that that's what it's all about this spring in Indy. Let's start with that, the optimistic point of view, George, because I was listening to Anthony Richardson's press conference today before practice, and it had me thinking. At this point, I personally would be disappointed if Anthony Richardson is not starting week one for the Colts because today, George, he sounded like someone who, at least from a playbook perspective, it has a good grasp on what the Colts are trying to run. So far, everything that is being thrown his way, he's absorbing, he's understanding, he wants to learn more information, he's getting what the coaches are teaching him. And that, to me, was always going to be the biggest question and the biggest hurdle to him getting on the field was not so much what he's doing on the practice field and not so much consistency in terms of completion percentage or touchdown passes in 11 on 11s in practice. It was more, can you understand the playbook? Do you know where to go with the ball? Do you understand protections and how to change play the line of scrimmage once you're in the game more than actual completion percentage and more than actual performance in practice? And so far, definitely, I know it's early, but he sounds like absolutely someone who's on the right path to do that. From your perspective, would you be disappointed at this point if Anthony Richardson isn't the week one starter? Yeah, a little bit. Although I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I look at that competition and I just think when you take a guy fourth overall in the draft, it's sort of like, you know, you got to knock out the champ. You got to knock out the first round pick. I don't think Minshew can win this on the scorecards. He's got to be clearly the better quarterback in practice. And we've not seen every session, but I don't feel like that's the case right now. You know, I, I think it's close, and if it's close, it should go to Richardson. Now, we'll see as preseason games get going and, you know, they have these joint practices and things ramp up quite a bit from where they are now. Uh, but if it stays like this and it's close, I just, to me, you got to go with the guy who is the future. Uh, and a lot of that does come back to what you're just saying. As long as he knows the playbook, understands protections, can take care of himself out there, those are the things that I would be worried about, you know, not putting him out there. Or if Gardner Minshew was just head and shoulders the best option. Any of those situations do not exist. I think you throw him out there. You let him make his mistakes. You let him learn. 
we know what the kid's ceiling is. Uh, you want to get him there as fast as possible. And to me, the best way to do that is to get him on the field. I like that because usually, I don't know, actually, maybe not. Maybe this should guess my mind. You always used to think of like, oh, if it's close, go with the veteran, kind of let him kind of get, you know, basically get the season underway and then find a soft landing spot for the rookie. We've seen that now in recent years, especially going back to last year or so with the Steelers where they had Mitch Trubisky start, I think it was the first three games, if I'm uh, not mistaken, before Kenny Pickett made his soft landing uh, being a former first-round pick for Pittsburgh. But I'm with you. Like, unless Minshew lights it up and is just killing this defense and they're just like, okay, we got to put this guy in the field. He's earned the job. I'd has, And assuming, obviously, that Richardson continues his playbook development and understanding and knows what he's doing and knows how to read a defense and knows where to go with the football – I just don't see how he's not the week one starter just because you hear so far. And again, I know it's early, right? It's still June. So everything is still a positive time, but you hear the way he talks about understanding the playbook and really understanding that that's really his biggest thing right now, right? It's not mechanics. It's, it's not consistency. He, he realizes his number one job is to know the damn place. And I think that that's absolutely the right mindset to have. And you hear also too, George, Hear his teammates talk about he's one of the first guys in the building. He's always asking questions, always studying. You hear, you hear even Richardson himself say he's never really seen a lot of indie so far because he's always looking at his playbook. I know he's, I know it's easy to say things, and we'll obviously see him more during practice. But he's definitely right now saying all the right things in terms of being on the path towards being that uh, starting quarterback week one. Yeah, he's a very likable kid, and I think that was obvious, you know, today, the way he started the press conference with that Marshawn Lynch joke. Uh, you know, he's just a kid that that's a very fun-loving, happy guy, and I think that's – teammates are, are responding to that. Uh, they're also responding to his work ethic. You know, I think that's – Kenny Moore said it best today when he, when he talked about when you see a guy uh, who's in there every day working his butt off, you can't help but respect that, and I think that's – I think I've said it before on here, but to me, that played a bigger role in, in their decision to draft him than even the, the ceiling did. The obvious, that part's obvious. Everybody can see that, you know, and go to the combine. You can see what a freak athlete he is. But when they got into the room with him, when they talked to people at Florida, they talked to other people in his life, and they realized how committed he is to, to putting the work in, that's why I think they're excited. That's why they think he can get there. Now, we'll see how it turns out. But I think when you've got a guy who's got a positive outlook the way he does, who is, you know, as committed to putting the work in as he is and who's already winning over his teammates, will he get to the top of that ceiling? Will he, will he be like we talked about the best quarterback in the NFL, which is the top level for him? I don't know. But it's hard for me to believe he's going to be a total failure either. When you've got that other stuff together, I think you're probably going to have a, a fair share of success along the way. Like I'd, look, I'm not comparing to him or saying he's on the same trajectory, but I felt the, the way you just were talking about too, about how it's like you work this much, it's almost impossible to fail. That's how I look at Jalen Hurts. Because I'll be honest, like when he was drafted by the Eagles, I'm like, oh, like he was a good college quarterback, but I didn't think he had what it takes to especially win games with his arm. Even so at Oklahoma, he wasn't exactly, you know, a guy that was lighting up with his arm and it's still a Lincoln Riley offense. It's very quarterback friendly. You were skeptical of, again, how easy a lot of those throws were. But you hear with Jalen Hurts, the number one thing is work ethic. All the guy does is continue to lift, study, work out. Like, all he does is continue to get better. And it's like one of those things where he works so hard, it was impossible for him to fail. And now we just saw him go to the Super Bowl and finish up as the runner, uh, MVP runner-up. It's like with Richardson, right? Like, if, if you work that hard and you are just that dedicated to your craft, 
sure, you may not be Tom Brady or Peyton Manning and be the best quarterback ever, but it, like I said, it's also really hard for you to be the worst quarterback ever and be Jamarcus Russell 2.0 and totally flop out of the league and flame out of the league in two or three years. I think when you hear Kenny Moore, too, a guy who's been around the block, who's been with a lot of veteran quarterbacks and knows kind of what a work ethic looks like, to hear him already kind of rave about the work ethic, George, too, I think it puts a lot of credence and it does put a lot of weight behind what Richardson is doing. It's easy to hear rookies and, and young guys talk about, oh, Richardson's working hard. But to hear from a veteran, Kenny Moore, I think it really kind of crystallizes that of, wow, this is like, this is no fluke or this is not just an act. No, I, mean, I, I think everybody in the building right now feels like this is a kid who's putting in the work, you know, now we'll see how, how it translates. I think the other thing Kenny said that was really, you know, important today was it's too early to dissect his game. You know, there's just not enough right now to go on. So rough day for him out there on Tuesday as we're recording the pod. I think it was three for eight in the drills that that we saw. That's what I had him unofficially. Uh, but, you know, with him, you always see good as well. And I think that's one of the things that, that keeps people coming back here. You know, he had the 60-yard bomb today, another perfectly placed football, dropped it right over Vincent Smith's shoulder. Couldn't place it any better. Uh, that was in seven on seven. You know, those kind of plays are just outstanding plays that, that we've now seen, I think, three times in, in the practice. I think we've seen four or five practices, and he's done a throw like that three times out there. Uh, but then in the team drills, it wasn't all coming together. And I think that's that's what they need to see from him. You know, we go back to what we very started this this pod with, a question about, you know, will you be disappointed if he's not starting week one? You need to see that consistency. And we don't know yet from a media standpoint because we've only seen him one day a week. So it's hard for me to really talk about consistency when I see him just once a week. But that's what I'm excited about this week right now. You know, going to see him again on Wednesday, going to see him again on Thursday, those back-to-back-to-back practices. You get a little bit better idea of, you know, what the the entire week looked like and and how he's looking overall. And I'm excited to see how he bounces back from a day that wasn't great, that almost everybody's kind of said, look, it was an ugly day out there for both quarterbacks, by the way. Uh, Minshew only had one drive, but he was 0 for 4 in his one series with, with the first team. So it wasn't really like either quarterback lit it up out there today. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. I think that's part of it. And then and when you're looking at being a week one starter, those are the things that really play into it. Because the, the coaches have enough faith in you. They have a pretty good idea of what you're going to do if they put you out there. And two, how do you bounce back from adversity? Because in this league – it's guaranteed you're going to face it at some point. I love that last point you just made, George. I think you're right. I think it's also kind of the first time we'll be able to see it because you're there, like I said, three days in a row, not once a week. So if Richardson has a good practice, you don't see him the next time. Or if he has a bad practice, you don't see how he responds the next day. That's a great point. And again, it's only mini camp. So, but you could still get a, an idea of what he's going to be like to where you're hundred percent right. Especially in year number one, there's going to be a lot of downs. Right, like we've not been shy about saying that it's going to be a roller coaster and it's going to be probably a lot more downs than ups in 2023. But what really is going to determine his success going forward for his career is going to be, like you mentioned, how he responds to games where he throws three interceptions or how he responds to games where he goes 20 of 50 and just can't hit the broad side of a barn. Do you come back better or do you sulk? Do you let that one game carry into the next game and the game after that? And all of a sudden now, one bad game for most greats, you kind of isolate that and move on. Now snowballs into two, three bad games. The next year you're talking about a month of bad football because in his head, that is something that's 
I think you can gleam a little bit this week, George, right? But that's absolutely something to watch because that that makeup too, right? It's easy when things are going great to be the man, to be outgoing, to pump up your teammates. But it's when things are going bad, how do you respond? And that truly, that sounds cliche, but that's like kind of the mark of a champion, right? It's how do you respond when you get knocked down? The greats always respond by getting right back up and going at it. Plenty of losers, plenty of, of athletes that have not made it to the top of the pinnacle are usually the ones that feel sorry for themselves or let getting knocked down just shatter their confidence totally. Let it become a snowball effect. I mean, I think the two traits that I've seen the most in, in the great quarterbacks, one is what Shane Sykin was talking about they were looking for, that obsession with the game. I mean, you talk about guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, and they're all football all the time. Uh, one of them apparently gave up his family to come back and play football again. I mean, that's how much you are tied into it. That's, you know, you have to have that sort of <laughs> obsession with the game. Uh, the other one, I think, is is the adversity. Because the, the, even Peyton Manning had bad games. Even Tom Brady had bad games or bad drives or bad throws. And I think what you see from those guys is that ability to shake it off. Andrew Luck, I always thought, was terrific about that. He would make the dumbest throw. One of those ones where he slams his hands on the top of his helmet as he's coming back to the sideline. And invariably, the next time they got the ball, he put points on the board. And I think those that's what the really good players do. They're able to shake that off, get back onto the next play, and, and succeed. And I, we have no idea as far as Anthony Richardson goes. He's not even at the beginning of that journey. He's sort of in the, the pre-show for that journey right now. Uh, and it's, it's one of the things we're going to find out as this year goes on. But as you said, this week from a media standpoint will be the first fan we get to see of it. Coaches have already seen a little bit of it. Then as you get into the preseason and, and each step gets a little bigger and each week gets a little more important, you'll see a little more of it. But we won't know. It'll probably be December before we have a really good feeling on on where he's at as that as a rookie. But everything we know right now about him suggests he's going to be a guy who can shake that off and, and come back and you know try to make plays. Now the question is, can he be consistent? Because the other thing is great to shake it off, but how many times do you have to do that in a year – is also important. At some point, you got to, you know, not create the bad showing to come back from. Right. You don't want to be Jameis Winston, where in 2019, he threw 35 touchdowns. Okay, impressive, but also threw 30 picks. So it's one of those where you're right. Every touchdown is thrown, it's an interception. Now, Jameis does credit, I guess, bounce back after those interceptions he threw as a touchdown. But then you said he just dig himself right back in that hole by having another turnover. So, yeah, definitely want to avoid becoming, bare minimum, the second member of the infamous. 3030 uh NFL club. That is that might be the most impressive stat in NFL. <laughs> I mean, that is hard to do. You throw three 30 interceptions, you have to stay on the field a long time. And generally, if you throw 30 touchdowns, you're not gonna throw 30 interceptions. It I hate to say this because you know everything gets gets broken, but that might not be replicated. That takes a very unique individual. Unless Bruce Arians decides to unretire for a third time. <laughs> Maybe, yes, all of a sudden now, like that would be one of those situations where Bruce just doesn't care. I'm just going to keep on going and we're going to, uh, we're going to let it rip until we can't go anymore. Yeah, no, risk, Bruce no is, biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is for us. He lived that motto to a T with mm -hmm. the Buccaneers and with Jameis Winston in 2019. That's for sure. So that's maybe the goal for year one for Richardson. Sure. We want to see a bounce back from adversity, but. Maybe not 30 times in a season in terms of turnovers. That is uh, that is for sure, George. And boy, oh boy. Let me ask you this question. Just going quickly back to 
The question we started the podcast off with, would you be disappointed if Anthony Richardson isn't starting week one for the Colts? Uh, we both, I'm definitely in agreement of yes. You're saying yes, but obviously still the caveat of a long way to go. We put it out on Twitter at Ryan underscore Hickey in the number three uh, is where you can find me for George GM Bremer on Twitter as well. 53.6% answer that question. Would you be disappointed if Anthony Richardson is at the starting quarterback for the Colts week one? 53.6% George said no. Are you surprised by that? That basically more Colts fans would, I don't say they'd be okay with it, but would not be disappointed if they see Gardner Minshew week one taking on the Jaguars. I, I'm surprised. Are you surprised? Well, a little bit surprised, but I think sometimes I get caught in the echo chamber. And so I've seen a lot right now of the people that are, you know, looking at that ceiling and, and believing in Anthony Richardson and, and looking at him as, you know, one of the top quarterbacks coming right out of the gate. I think it's a good thing because what's been the motto of the podcast, manage expectations. That 53% is managing expectations. And, and so they, they, they understand the assignment. Um, and I think if you, if you're able to talk to a lot of those people, I think what they're going to say is they wouldn't be disappointed because it's a developmental year for them. So if Gardner Minshew starts a season, so be it. Uh, but for the reasons that I laid out, you know, at the top of the show, I would be disappointed simply because it would mean in my mind that Minshew is head and shoulders ahead of him. And I think that would be a little disappointing in September. Also, yes, for everything you said, I agree with the other other reason why I'm surprised is honestly, George, it's Twitter. And we're talking about the fourth overall pick. No one is patient anymore in this day and age. Like truly no one has any sort of patience. And so I don't see many people first saying, oh, like Gardner Mitchell starting week one. What's your reaction? I would be shocked if the majority of the fan base is like, yeah, I'm okay with it. That's fine. It could be the right move when, when all is said and done. Right? We still have two months to go or really three months to go before the season starts. Richardson, once you get to training camp, maybe could make everything I just said before look wrong and he could be overwhelmed by the defense and we get to join practices and you get two of them in the preseason games. He just doesn't know what to go, to, uh, go with the ball and is just truly flummoxed. Okay, fine. You can't put him out there, and everything I just said 20 minutes ago is a flat out lie, or or is digressed, regressed from uh, earlier in the spring. But otherwise, like it's just like now, I would have assumed being Twitter, being a fan, I would have been like, oh, absolutely, I definitely want to see Anthony Richardson. I don't want to see Gardner Mitchell out there. But Twitter speaks right now. 53.6 percent, like you said, George, are living up to the podcast motto of manage expectations. Uh, kind of think like a rebel kind of venturing out uh, of the podcast motto for once. Yeah, no, you know, Hey, manage expectations. That's what it's all about. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting year because as we talked about, there's going to be more downs than ups, but you got so many young guys in such key spots, especially in the passing game, you know, whether it's Anthony Richardson, who's obviously the focal point, but those young corners too, you know, if they can grow and they can, uh, make strides that that's what you're looking at and can these rookies in December look like they were really good picks and then you know you hope that the Colts are, are the team that nobody wants to play come December and January because they're a tough out at that point and I think that's what's a successful season you you said again and again and I couldn't agree with you more that the record doesn't matter but I think success in this season is measured by how you feel at the end of the year you know after that last game after week 18 do you feel like this team is on the right path and is is ready to to be a contender in 2024? Then it's a successful season. And if you feel like there's a ton of work to do and they made the wrong choices in drafts, then it's not. And I don't think the record really matters in either of those cases. 
And it's definitely contingent a lot of those good feelings on obviously how Anthony Richardson does finish up the season, how he progresses, which speaking of which, George, let's kind of wrap up Richardson's talk of, of minicamp day one with this. So you were there for all three OTA practices. You were there for rookie minicamp. You were there day one uh, mandatory minicamp today. It was a rough day for him, inconsistent day. We just highlighted before it a beautiful touchdown pass and also was, what, three of eight, you said, in, in team drills. So not exactly the, the prettiest and most consistent showing. Did you see anything different, good or bad, today with now the full team there and you had the return of Alec Pierce uh, as well into the lineup? Anything that you noticed and maybe was a little bit different, um, could be, like, good, uh, again, good or bad, that was, you know, maybe you weren't seeing in either OTAs or rookie minicamp? I don't know if I saw a lot different from him. Um, I think his confidence is coming through. He just seems more and more calm out there. Um, even though he was struggling, it didn't seem like he was flummoxed. You know, he wasn't searching for answers. He was just getting back out there and making the next throw. Um, but I do think like the one thing that was sort of interesting or new, you know, Coach Steichen came over and talked with us before practice uh, some of the guys out there in the corner in, in the media. And he said they were going to run some unscripted sections of, of practice for the first time. And we don't know exactly which periods they were, uh, but, you know, it, it's interesting. So the first time the quarterbacks really were getting a play call, taking it into the huddle, not knowing beforehand what it was going to be and, you know, going out and running the play. So maybe that's part of why we saw the struggles. Maybe the defense just had a good day. I don't know. Uh, but I think that's it's another step in the development here of, you know, before this, it was all install. So it was you knew what the play was going to be and you're probably going to run that play two or three times. Today was at least some period of practice, you know, make the play call on the fly, get in the huddle, run the play closer to what it's going to be like on game day. Still not obviously there. You're in shorts for one thing. Um, and I don't think they were, you know, using the helmet communicator or anything like that, but it's these baby steps that he's got to go through. Every one of these things is a first for him. And so this was the first kind of live play calling section. So, you know, we'll see how that develops throughout the week as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, that's, it, you start, like I said, you are starting to see now it's good that they're progressing forward. And it's good that again, early on now, I don't know if this was Shane seconds, plan or you know when he's mapping out in his head early this offseason okay hopefully by mini camp day one we'll kind of start to deviate like I said just start to call live plays but so far at least it's I would say a good sign that he feels comfortable enough that we're still in June you can get to that point with the rookie quarterback and feel comfortable that at least he'll know what you're saying and know what to do like I said it, the completions weren't there that the, the consistency wasn't there but at least again you're starting to see that development in terms of knowing the plays knowing the protections knowing where the ball is supposed to go and that's some of the biggest hurdles he's got to clear in order to be on the field for week number one. Yeah. You know, and it, it was inconsistent all the way around. I mean, I, there was one pass that was dropped that I thought he threw really well to Mo Ali Cox and hit him in the hands. He just wasn't able to bring it in. And then the very next snap, he threw it behind Ashton Doolin and Doolin made a great catch. So those kind of evened out. Go figure. Uh, and I think you're going to see that though throughout the year. I think that's the way it's going to be. Even in seven on seven, he threw that 60 yard touchdown pass. One of the best throws he's had, you know, that, that we've seen him make in any practice. And then a couple snaps later, he threw an interception. He kind of forced over the middle to EJ speed. I think that's, as we've been talking about repeatedly, that's probably what you're going to th see throughout the season. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how he responds to that and how he grows. Hopefully the goal would be come December, come January, you're seeing less of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that will help determine 
what is going to be a successful season or not for this team in 2023. Um, so we will put a pin in at least the Richardson talk for right now. We'll get more into Jonathan Taylor and his kind of future here on Wednesday's podcast as he is scheduled to join the media later uh, on minicamp day number two. And we will be back a little programming note because I think we said this at the top of the show. We will be doing a little mini pod after each uh, day of minicamp. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're recording this late on Tuesday. You're probably listening to a Wednesday morning. We will be back Wednesday night and Thursday as well and drop those. Uh, we will be dropping those uh, new episodes onto our YouTube feed, Blue Horseshoe Podcast, and also wherever you get your pods, the bright blue logo. That is where every new episode will be uploaded as well. So tomorrow being today's a big Anthony Richardson day, and obviously we'll continue to monitor his progress throughout the three days and getting ready for training camp. But tomorrow will be definitely a big Jonathan Taylor day. It's a little kind of preview to what's ahead uh, here on the show. Let's wrap up, George, uh, this minicamp day number one pod with this discussion. Let's kind of circle back to Isaiah Rogers. But obviously, now it's been some time since the news first broke that he's been investigated uh, for gambling on games over 100 games. He's gambled on in the NFL some Colts games. What we don't know is which Colts games he bet on, if he bet the Colts to win or lose. But one thought I had, George, that I've not seen many other places I want to kind of discuss uh, the possibility of this happening and also highlight why the NFL is taking this so seriously. If you're still a fan that is unsure why Isaiah Rogers is getting in trouble when the NFL promotes gambling, one thought I had was this, George. We don't know when the bet, uh, when the bets are placed. They could all have been in, in the first three weeks of the season. They all could have been the last four weeks of the season. But my thought is this. So obviously we saw the last, I mean, really since Jeff Satter was high, but let's say the last six weeks, this team looked non-competitive. This team looked dispirited. This team basically flat out give up. I wonder, I just wonder if you are, if, if Isaiah Rogers was at practice during the week, was in meetings during the week, especially the last month to six weeks of the season. And he realized, wow, we don't have a chance. Like, if he realized this team is not even trying to win. So if we're going to get, you know, killed on the field, I might as well make a few bucks. And if I know that the coaches aren't doing, you know, the, everything they need to game plan in order to win this game, I may as well make a few bucks off of it. What is, I don't say the chances, I guess, but what do you think of that theory, George? Or, or what do you, what are your thoughts on, on maybe the Colts tanking on purpose Rogers realizing this and saying, I might as well just bet on it because it's, I know we're going to lose. Might as well make a few, few bucks off it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think that's what happened. I mean, being around the building, I think they were pretty adamant that they were trying, you know, to, to get things back on track. And, and I know the owner was, was absolutely convinced that, that he had made the right hire and Jeff Saturday was going to lead this team to new heights. And, you know, he was very upset when that didn't happen. Uh, but I think it underscores the importance of this because you also can't rule it out. And I think that the problem with this situation, the reason the league's taking it so seriously is anything that you kind of want to concoct, anything that you kind of want to, you know, hypothesize on is possible. And I think that's until we get the details about what he bet on, for all I know, they're all prop bets. They're all, you know, hey, did will Michael Pittman Jr. score a touchdown in this game? We, we don't know what right. was happening. Um, there's some school thought that, that that's even worse if that's what happened, because one player could potentially impact a prop bet even more than they could impact a game. But the bottom line is, no matter what the bets were, no matter if he was betting on his team to win or lose, no matter if it's a prop bet or a game bet, you're questioning the integrity of the game. 
And in the Colts season alone, you go back, the Minnesota game is going to come up. The fourth quarter in Dallas is going to come up. There's so many. The finish against the Texans, week 18. The finish against the Texans is going to come up. Even though he wasn't on the field in that game, it doesn't matter. You know, those are the kind of things that are going to, that's why the league's taking this so seriously. Because now everything, innocent or not, is in question. It's the same way as if, if you find out that your partner's cheating on you, everything they say after that, you question. Well, gambling is that situation for the NFL now. It doesn't matter whether all of this was completely above board or not. It brings in the possibility it wasn't, and that alone is enough. Right, and again, it just brings into question the integrity of the game, and if these games are truly fixed, or if they are just playing out and it just happened to be that the Vikings made the biggest comeback in NFL history. Again, I mean, he's in the game. We have no idea if he bet it, but it's like one of those things where I'm sure the Colts weren't expecting to get out to a 33 nothing halftime lead, but it's one of those where you see how the game ends. Oh boy, Rogers is on the field. Now something you're starting to watch plays. Could he have died for this ball? Could he have made the tackle? Did he miss the tackle on purpose? It's one of those things where, especially too, when you see how, the last half of the season ended where they were just so lifeless look like honestly half the time they didn't want to be there. If you're, you know, you just got to wonder now if you're the league and if you are even a fan too, that's thinking about putting money down. Look, Isaiah, like was Isaiah Rogers realizing the Colts are, are, are trying to tank and not trying to win a lot of these games. And now all of a sudden, maybe it's in my best interest to kind of help out because I would like when Jeff Saturday was hired, I don't think, Jim Mersey, well, I was hoping he was trying to tank. It was not Jim Mersey's intention to tank because you hear him in the press conference and you hear him after the Raiders' victory over Josh McDaniels. That's a snake. Uh, Jim Mersey basically ready to put Jeff Satter in the Hall of Fame. So I don't think that Jim Mersey made this higher thinking, okay, let's lose every game. Let's get you know as high of a pick as we can and let's get the quarterback in the draft and, and end this. For whatever reason, Jim Mersey really thought that Jeff Saturday was the guy. But I do wonder, so maybe not right away when he was first hired in, in week nine, I believe it was, um, that that was kind of the plan or, or, you know, right away. But you wonder the last month of the season, again, with how lifeless this team looked, you just wonder whether even if not from a, a team perspective, hey, look, guys, we're going to try to lose this game on purpose, whether Rodgers is looking around and saying, oh, this, this team itself doesn't care and they're not trying in practice. And you know what? We're going to get our ass kicked, so might as well, again, try to benefit off it. We saw in the Texans game, they gave up at times. Definitely the Giants game, the last road game of the year, they mailed that that in completely. So it also goes, you know, kind of into question of, you know, again, were these outcomes, were the Colts trying to win every game? The NFL, to their credit, is the last league that has to worry about tanking. But there's been tanking concerns, and other leagues outside of the NFL have put in measures to try to prevent that. For the most part, we've not seen it with the NFL, at least it being prevalent. But again, I think part of this investigation, um, if you're the NFL, is looking into not only Rodgers gambling, but also, well, why was he gambling on Colts games? And again, you kind of look to see if he was betting on them to lose, which again, we don't know. We just saw he was betting on games. And like you mentioned, it could be prop bets, could be the Colts to win, could be for him to get an interception. We have no idea what the bets were. But part of the investigation is if he was betting on, let's say, the Colts to lose, why are you betting your own team to lose? And that's going to be absolutely be brought up. And that's another wrinkle into this entire conversation. And in this really investigation of why this is such a huge deal, because this could go bigger than Rogers. If the Colts were 
at the end intentionally tanking to get the best draft pick, that's going to be then starting with Jim Irsay, I think, uh, hell to pay. No, that, that that's the way it goes, you know, and, and I think a lot of it's going to be, like you said, when were these bets placed? Uh, was he betting early in the season on them to win, late in the season to lose? You know, any of these things that, that are happening um, would have been, and they're going to call everything into question. It's tough right now to speculate because we really have no details. We have no idea. We don't know how many games he, he bet on involving the Colts. We don't know which ones they were. We don't know what the bet entailed. Um, but at the end of the day, like for me, I, I don't think the tanking thing really holds a lot of water when it all shakes out just because I, you'd make more money betting on them to win at, at this point, like late in the year, everyone knew they were going to lose. So like the Minnesota game, for instance, the comeback from Minnesota is historic, but if you bet on the Colts in that game, you probably won because I'm sure they covered. They only lost by three. I'm sure they were more than a three point underdog in that game. That's why I'm not sure how it all works out when you get into the nuts and bolts of it. But that part doesn't matter because it's it's the question it puts into people's minds. It doesn't really matter when you get into the numbers and you crack down on it and you try to figure out, well, where are you going to make the most money? That's not the important thing. Most people aren't going to do that. They're just going to look at the headlines. And the headline's going to say he bet on the Colts to lose if that's the way it turns out. And that's why that part of it is so huge because – Again, you don't really bet win lose, right? You bet on the spread. You bet how much right, you're with the points, up. right? And I would imagine, but that, that's where the Giants game comes into mind. They probably didn't cover in that game. I don't know how big the spread was, but it probably wasn't big enough to cover the egg they laid that day. Twenty-eight points. I'm going to assume, George, they were not twenty-nine point underdogs. Exactly, or the Dallas fourth quarter where you give up 33 points and undoubtedly didn't cover there. I don't know if they were covering before that. Probably it was a pretty close game. So if you get into the details, you're going to find spots in there that are questionable. And that to me is, is the whole thing. Even if you bet on them to win, it's, it's one of those things. That I think the biggest reason the league doesn't want players involved and there are rules against that. In fact, companies have to, to take, I forget the wording exactly, but they take reasonable efforts to make sure that participants aren't betting on events. Now we know the situation here reportedly using somebody else's account. And I'm sure there's ways around that other people probably haven't gotten caught yet who are ways around it. But the fact is if betters start finding out that a certain player on a certain team is betting every week, they're going to watch that and it's going to affect the lines. And that's one of the biggest reasons that, that the league doesn't want this but in the bigger picture, it's it's the question it puts in everybody's mind. And I think that, to me, is no matter what bets he was making, just the fact that he was making bets is going to make people suspect. And it's tough because he put himself in this situation, probably going to end up being a poster boy for, for this situation in the NFL um, because his is now the most high profile. It was Calvin Ridley. I think Rodgers is now probably the most high profile of these cases. The league, I think, is going to want to send a message because, again, it 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 calls into question every level of of games on Sunday, and they're not going to they're not going to stand for that, right? Especially when we believe he's the first player to ever bet on games he's playing in, unless they all just came in the last two weeks when he was injured and nothing better to do. Again, still you can't do it, and I don't feel any sympathy for him, but that's one of those where. It's not as bad as, okay, you're not now playing in games you bet in. At least it's still more – it falls more in line with the Calvin Ridley suspension of, 
okay, you're out, you're injured, you're not playing, you're still betting your on your team, which is a no-no. Um, but at least you're not out there actually impacting the game one way or another and impacting your bet for sure. But that also just again it opens up Pandora's box. Like Isaiah Rogers himself is getting investigated. From what we've seen, it's it's a lone wolf situation where it's not a, a, a cult wide problem where you have like 10 other guys as well betting on games. It seems to be concentrated just to Rogers himself. But again, if you're the NFL, you got to look at not only Rogers, you got to look at which games he's betting on, his motivations. And I think you do at least open the door. Like I said, maybe nothing's there with the Colts and tanking. And maybe you, you look around and you just realize they were really bad. And Jeff Saturday just sucks as a head coach and they couldn't do anything about it. But you definitely at least bare minimum have to investigate and open the door. And that also now is just another area the Colts have to, you know, or the NFL has to investigate, I should say, about now. It's not just Rodgers as well. Why was he betting on games? Should we investigate? And like you said, now all of a sudden, look at the Colts in the last six weeks and how some of their games ended. We just thought this was a bad team that mailed it in and packed it in. I would probably say, George, we're, we're still right on that. But now I think that 100% certainty of just, oh, wow. That was just an historic collapse against the Vikings. Or, man, that was the worst fourth quarter this team has ever played. I think now, again, that 100% chance that you thought, oh, it was just everything was above board, now gets knocked down, at least investigated a little bit. And that's, again, just another area that I think uh, the NFL has to check out and see. I don't Again, I don't think anything's going to come out of it, but I think it's definitely now in question more than it was even two weeks ago. And what happens, you know, if this continues and a quarterback is caught up in this someday? I mean, that's where it's – I think that's what the league's concern is. You want to try to get a lid on this as quickly as possible because if those same – if this was Matt Ryan who was being investigated, cool. there would be real talk about, you know, Matt game fixing and, and, and things like that. And, and that's not – Matt Ryan was not betting on the games. But the point is, you know, he was playing poorly and he was struggling. And if you get – it's just a door you don't want to open. It's a door you don't want to open with Rogers. Like you said, you're going to have to go back through and find out which game you bet on and then go watch plays, you know, throughout that game and, and, and see, and you're not going to be able to tell intent. I think that's one of the biggest issues with this, you know, did he really misplay this or, or did he, you know, what's the intent there? But again, just the question is too much. And that's why the league doesn't want to see this, whether it's those lions players that get suspended earlier whether it's Shaka Tony in Washington, whether it's Calvin Ridley, the league does not want to see this because it's a door that they do not want to be opened. And there's really endless speculation. And the longer this investigation goes, the, the more the void is going to be filled with speculation. So at some point that replaces whatever the truth is, there'll be people that believe something they heard this time of year before anything was done, no matter what the truth is when it comes out. And then the league knows this and they're trying to, you know, cap it. Fact about it is, we may not have seen the worst yet. You know, there may be more to come. That, yes, absolutely. I think you're 100% spot on with that. But also, too, what you said before, George, people believe in rumors. <laughs> I know. Come on. <laughs> what am I saying? That would never happen. One person believing a tweet that, you know, they <laughs> swear they have inside information or or one person believing a Reddit thread because they, they are close with Will Levis's family that he's going to go number one overall and you put money on it. That would never happen, George. No, not in this day and age. No, no way. No, absolutely not. It's the, definitely not the Levis thing. That's a total hypothetical. There, there's <laughs> no question. The sports books would definitely did not get a few free donations on that one. That is that is for sure. Holy. <laughs> oh, Rogers didn't put money on that one. Uh, 
we may find out. I know. <laughs> you know, that's I think that's what I would be doing if I had inside information, though. But I wouldn't necessarily be trying to uh, fix my games. I would just be starting false rumors and seeing if I could swing lines for no reason. I think that would be a lot more fun. The reverse of like insider trading, basically. Going the other way. I mean, come on. Some whoever did that had to just be laughing the entire time, right? Watching that line swing and uh, it's a terrible thing to do. But at the same time, if you did it, probably a little funny on your end. Especially if it helped get you better odds on Bryce Young going number one. All of a sudden, right? now you make a, a few extra bucks on the side because of this the stupidity of others. There's a conspiracy. That's you know, who knows. It was Bryce Young's yeah. family. So they wanted to bet on him going number one. They knew basically the deal was signed already. All right, how can we get better odds <laughs> right now? All right, let's just bump up Will Levis. Everyone put money down. He's going number one. Frank Reich was just at his house, damn it. Trust That's me. Yes. That is Trust me. Yes, right there. Unbelievable. But that's All the right. point. When you open up that door, that's the point. And it just can't happen. And I, I don't think it's closed. I don't think that gambling door is closed. I think the NFL still deal. And we know there's at least one other investigation out there uh, from reports. And look, it's probably not something that's going away anytime soon. I, that's what I'd be surprised by if this is the last we, we've heard of it. It should be because, again, not to rehash everything, but you're at this point, you're an idiot. You're a total idiot if you're an NFL player betting on games. You know you can't do it. You've now seen countless examples of what happens when you do do it. No reason. But like we've just seen, one player bets on games last year. So far now, was it five players plus Isaiah? So six, right? Seven? Six? Six Six with another investigation also open. So let's say bare minimum seven. Plus other line staffers as well. So like yep. one guy last year, and let's just round up 10 this year so far. It's just like, it makes no sense, George, but. That would be a hundred next year. Right? I'm trying to do the math, but if it's 10 times. And then all of a sudden three years from now, it's the entire league and the, and the NFL is no, you know, shut down as we know it. And now all of a sudden now we're XFL fans or AAF. I don't even want to live through that nightmare. No, thank you. Yeah, I would agree. And no XFL, no XFL. That's, this is an XFL pod. We're in trouble. <laughs> we may be in trouble anyway, but that would definitely, definitely put us in trouble. Put me in my podcasting grave at that point. Just end it. <laughs> end it if we're talking XFL gamblers uh, versus the Rough Riders here. Huge question, though, that this brings up. Would you rather watch the XFL or eat blue cheese? George has, has hit a, a nerve here. I am someone who does not like condiments whatsoever. I don't put anything on a burger. I prefer boneless wings over bone and wings. I know it's sacrilege. I understand. Not just the, the life I have chosen to live. And so I don't like blue cheese, no ranch with the boneless wings. I just go, look, this is my, did find myself here, George. When food is good, you don't need to add anything to it. When a cheeseburger is good, you don't got to add ketchup to enhance the flavor. When a wing is good, you don't got to add blue cheese to enhance the flavor. So that is why I live my life condimentless free, basically, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Would I rather watch the XFL or eat blue cheese? I've never had blue cheese. So I truly don't know what it tastes like. I do know it's moldy cheese, I believe is how it's made. But God, I mean, XFL in like May and June. I don't want to be inside watching XFL. 
Oh, you get the hard hit questions here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. I guess I'll go blue cheese. It's a one time thing. I'm assuming I'll I'll eat it. I'll probably hate it. Um, and then I'll live my life at least afterwards. I'm not trapped inside on a Saturday and Sunday in the spring and the summer watching two teams I could care less about. I couldn't care less. I always get that saying right. I couldn't care less about uh, with players that I've probably never heard of, even though I'm a huge college football fan and know a lot of these guys. It's still somehow guys you never heard of playing these big-time positions. I don't know how it's possible, but props to the rock it is. I'll go blue cheese, George. That 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 hurt. That's a tough question. That tough is call. a lose lose. Hey, I'm here for the hard hitting questions. That that's that's what I do. That that's what my job is. That being said, I I like that the USFL and the XFL exist because it gets more opportunities for guys. And you've seen I don't know twenty odd XFL guys in camps, whatever it is. Maybe it's a hundred. I don't know what the number is, but I don't I don't need to watch it. I'm glad it exists. I'm glad it keeps people in football and it gives guys second and third chances, but that doesn't mean that I need to, you know, spend my time watching it. I'll put you there on the spot. Would you rather watch the, uh, watch the XFL or be like Bernie, the Miami heat mascot and have to take a punch from Conor McGregor? I'll definitely take the XFL or that. I don't want <laughs> anybody. Hey, Bernie's one <laughs> tough, sofa, uh, tough SOB. He was I- ready to go game six. If the finals got there, so he took him. He he ate a punch in game four and, and was ready to go in game six. I, I get more credit in the world because I'm if Conor McGregor hits me and I have to go to the hospital, my mascot career is over. I'll just say that right now. I'm done. I'm not ready for game six. I'm not ready for any. I'm I'm done. It's over. Uh, I I definitely I don't want to take a punch from Conor McGregor. Nothing. Why that was even on the table, by the way? Like who okayed that? Like if you're burnt, I I'll tell you this. They yeah. clearly did not go to Bernie and tell him, hey, buddy, by the way, for this promotion, <laughs> you have to take a punch from Conor McGregor. That was definitely not run by him, that is for sure. No, if not, he's 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 significantly underpaid. That, you know, I mean, come on. Or bonus there, right? But hats off to Bernie for being ready for game six. That That's all I'll say. The well, we learned Bernie's tougher than you. No, Bernie's definitely tougher than me. There's no question about that. That's not a high bar, though. Come on. <laughs> That's not – my 10-year-old might be tougher than me. No, uh, This is what we do here in the Blue Horseshoe Pod. I'm stressing about eating blue cheese, and here you are. Say so basically anyone on the street is tougher than you. This is this yeah. is why you come to the Blue Horseshoe Pod, folks. This is to make your life better. You got to feel better about yourself after hearing the last five minutes of this conversation. Exactly. You get this nowhere else either. This is information that is only available here on a Blue Horseshoe Pod on YouTube, at Apple, at Spotify, all your your outlets, wherever you want to find it. Get the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Find out why Ryan hates condiments. Find out why pretty much any random stranger can beat me up. These are the things you get right here. Why the Miami Heat mascot is tougher, tougher than shorts. No that. Miami Heat mascot might be one of them toughest mascots around now, right? I mean, how many mascots are going to take a punch from Conor McGregor? Let me tell you this. The next time they do the mascot versus youth football game, like some random halftime show, Bernie has to – I know it's mostly NFL mascots and some college mascots. you got to bring Bernie out there and have the Miami Heat represent because that's a guy that is not going to take a punch. He'll he'll probably deliver some hits too. Those 10-year-olds are in big trouble. Blue's a beast in those games, by the way. Oh, the best. He is so funny. Yeah, he is absolutely unstoppable. He might be the, the Jim Brown of, of Pee Wee versus mascots. 
You know, he's, yeah, he's not tapping out of those games uh, anytime soon. That is for sure. So you heard George's plug, YouTube, uh, wherever you get your podcast. And the, there's no better time than now to subscribe because we got three coming at you three days in a row. One for each day of minicamp. This concludes day number one. Day number two will be a lot of Jonathan Taylor and his feature now with the running back market being more depressing than ever. Dalvin Cook is, is, is cut. Saquon Barkley is holding out of minicamp or not going to minicamp, not holding out because he didn't sign a contract. So he's technically, technically not holding out, but he's not going to minicamp because he's upset with the Giants not giving him the deal he wants. Tough time to be a running back. We'll discuss the future of Jonathan Taylor. Should the Colts give him a contract extension? And most teams are saying, eh, we're good to extending their running back. So, have a great rest of your Wednesday. We appreciate you tuning in. We'll be, we'll be back later on. Yes, Wednesday night, but you'll probably listen to it Thursday morning. So we'll be back on Thursday morning with another Blue Horseshoe Pod. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.